Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today we have our beloved friend, Susan Seville. How are you? I'm good. I'm real good. You're real good? A little lonely, now, but it, it's You know, part of the reason we're lonely is because uh, is we're all quarantined, but also, uh, you know, you didn't make a trip down to Austin just a couple days ago. Man. People are heartbroken about that. We have number one on our reschedule list. So you'll hear from Laura this week. This week. Okay. Well, there's a lot because my, my sponsor for this month was supposed to be the Harbor Pepperdine Bible Lectures 2020. Yeah. And uh, that's also having to be rescheduled. It, it, it seems like God doesn't want you and me talking together anywhere. How do you, how, what do you think we should do about that? Talk anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Watch well, us do just, this. Yeah, exactly. It seems like there's been a, a lot of bad news. The, obviously, the Stances Conference in Austin didn't happen. Uh, the Pepperdine event is not happening. But I have some good news to share with my listeners. Yeah, what is it? Well, uh, just a few days ago, I first put it out on social media that my publisher is doing this amazing, it's amazing offer about my new book. If yeah. you pre-order my new book, Befriending Your Monsters... What they're going to do is they're going to give away for the first 500 people a hard copy of my last book, God Over Good. So some people might only have one or two copies of God Over Good at their house. That's not nearly enough. But right now, if you pre-order my new book, the links are all going to be in the show notes and all my social and all that, they will send you a copy of my first book. I mean, I'm not saying it can cure the quarantine blues, but if anything can, I think that's the way to start. Does that make sense, Suzanne? It makes total sense. Do I have to order it from them, or can I order it from Amazon? Uh, I think you. there's a link that you have to show them where you got it from, but I think you can get it from multiple different places. You're on your phone right now. I I'm, assume you're, I'm ordering your book. Look at you, Suzanne. You're so nice. Hey, I, I'm not nice. I'm, I'm um, smart. It's smart. I've read yeah. parts of God of the Monsters. I know smart. <laughs> That's both of them together, God Ever Good and Befriending Your Monsters. You've read parts of both of them, and you say it's smart. I think that's all people need to hear. I've read all of God Over Good. I'm not smart enough to type and talk, which is why I said that wrong. I'm going to order it as soon as I hang up. But what I am telling you is I've read God Over Good actually more than once. You, we had a, a great uh, event at yeah. the Micah Center about that. and you, Let's good have questions. one about this. I'm all about it. Okay, here's the thing. I, I, in two months, do you think people are going to be traveling? Uh, yeah, I you do. Think so? Okay, you're you're smarter than me. So if that's the case, then let's do it. I'll be up there whenever you want. Uh, well, I'm not smarter than you, but I'm um, I'm certainly not more optimistic than you are. But I'm just choosing to be really hopeful. What? Okay, so what is? Choosing to be hopeful. Like there's this sort of uh, Pollyanna, like everything's going to work out just great. Everything's fine. Uh, it, that's one option, but there's also hope, which is a different thing. How do you choose to be hopeful, but not just be like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Nothing's going on. And just being dismissive of reality. Um, somewhere a long time ago, I heard the definition of hope is wanting what God wants and Knowing what God wants and hoping the same thing, or wanting knowing what God wants and wanting the same thing, and I think God wants this to be over, so that's what I'm going to do in hope. 
and I uh, live with Joe Stabile, you know, and uh, <laughs> he's something, that guy. He's, he's great. Yeah, and he just says to me, anytime I start to get a little whipped up, he just says two things. God cannot be anything other than faithful, and you think about our history. God has always been faithful, and my response to that is that I believe that either God is in everything or God is in nothing, which is a Richard Rohr quote. And so if we just are there— then I maybe people won't be able to travel and we'll only get 10 people and we'll make them sit six feet apart. But I think uh, what you and I are all about is adapting. Yeah. And your work helps people adapt to reality because you yeah. name reality for what it is. Yeah. And my work is here are some tools that will help you adapt to reality. Yeah. That's true. Now, I want to get to what Joe's doing these days, because I assume his pastoral work is uh, quite quite uh, crazy at this point in time. But uh, let, let's follow this conversation, though. The giving people tools to deal with reality. I assume that at a time like this, the tool which obviously everyone knows you for, uh, they know you for a lot of things, but obviously the Enneagram is the tool that you've been sharing with the world in quite uh, life-changing ways for so many of us. It has a unique place to speak life to people right now, to name the motivations, to name the ways that they're going to run away from it, the way that they're going to uh, turn into anger or fear. Uh, when you're when you're talking about this, you know, COVID-19 stuff, are, are you just in like the high notes of all the, the good stuff you've been saying for years, just in a new, fresh way? Or do you feel like you're having to say something different? You know, we're only a few days in of the quarantine thing. I'm I'm starting to think differently and feeling like I have some things to say that are different. So um, I'll give you an example. Um, I think in relationship to Enneagram stances, I think for each stance, your repressed center is more intuitive for you than usual. Okay, so, for me. Well, like three sevens and eights are uh, feeling repressed. But I think right now your feelings are more available to you. I think they're more intuitive. And I think that's because they're necessary and you intuitively know that. And for ones, twos, and sixes who are thinking repressed, thinking productively is a more intuitive thing to do. Mm -hmm. Right? And for fours, fives, and nines, doing what you can and what needs to be done is more intuitive than it normally is. Mm-hmm. There, there's not enough to occupy the other two centers to cover that one, mm-hmm. like we usually do. So I would have assumed that we would have been going to stress or to our disintegration uh, number, just grabbing for that. But you're saying something different, that it's not. we're not running to maybe like, the lesser parts of ourselves but in some ways we are open to like growing into who like our truest self is why do you think it's it's that instead of the positive instead of the negative um for several reasons but the most important is because i i think there's a long way to go in this potentially yeah. 
And I think it's concerning, and I think there are things that have to be done, and I think everybody's trying to find their footing, but I don't think it's stressful yet. It's not stressful. Well, I'll tell you, it seems stressful to me. I, I felt like I had a hangover on Monday in a way that I, I don't usually have like the you know, Monday hangovers that a lot of pastors have for whatever reason. Uh, but this, this Monday, I was just spent. Tuesday, I didn't have much left. Now, part of it, Lindsay was working two nights in a row and you know, watching all the kids kind of changed my rhythm. But I, and you're telling me this isn't the stressful part yet? I'm, I'm not encouraged by that. I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not well, saying you're wrong, but that's terrifying. I know. Well, uh, uh, here's what I think, though. I think you're spent. Mm-hmm. From I'm, I would ask you a question: Are you kind of empty and spent because you intuitively have offered people so much more from your feeling center? I, did you say, I feel like you asked if I, you could ask me a question, and in hindsight, I should have said no to that. Um, Be late now. Yeah. See, I would suggest hmm. Luke Norsworthy, Pastor Luke Norsworthy. I hate when I would this suggest to me. that you are uh, leaning more heavily than usual, intuitively, on feelings, because you know that's what your people need. Huh. And it's exhausting to do that. Yeah. So I think you're feeling empty, but probably not stressed. But you also have a beautiful wife who I love who's working in hospitals. Yes, she is. And that's a whole different thing. Um, you know, in terms of Joe uh, and, and pastoral care, his exhaustion is trying to communicate with people in hospitals because they can't get in the doors and in nursing homes because they can't get in Hmm. and in retirement homes because they can't get in, you know? So um, I just think if we watch this, people who are Enneagram wise are going to pop up and say to us, yeah, I, I was, I was thinking better than I usually do. It's like, you know, when I'm stressed, I make up stuff. I either behave badly or I make up stuff. And I'm not doing What do doing you mean make up stuff? One. What do you mean make up stuff? Oh, I make up things like this. Uh, I haven't done this yet, but I'm sure I'll get to it. I make up things like Joe and I are, are quarantined in part because he's got some compromising issues. But we're 69 and 72. Most people don't dial in to that, thankfully, about us. And so we're self-quarantined. So, you know, a couple of weeks in, I guarantee you, I will make up that I'm losing touch with the people who have followed my work and they're not going to love me anymore. And I haven't seen the children and they're figuring out how to do life with no parents and grandparents around and that kind of nonsense. Okay. Yeah, you should be a seven. It'd be way better. I make up better stuff than <laughs> Way that. Way better stories, no kidding. Way better stories than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I like the angle that we are intuitively going to grow through this. I, I think Christianity has a peculiar disposition to adversity and suffering, that this is actually the cauldron for our formation in the positive direction. Thank and I, I, I would want to think that our work, what you and I do, 
that I think we're listening to the Spirit of God, which is telling us that this is something that God is using to grow us. And our, like our work is, help us to be available to the way that God is using this to help me become a better version of who God created me to be. Okay. And the way you're describing that is like, we're, we're going to go into these parts of ourself that are underdeveloped, underappreciated, undervalued, or overlooked, whatever. And that's what's going to happen. Uh, okay. So let's think about this. Think about this. Uh, in terms of stances, um, your repressed stance, your repressed center is the purest part of you. Hmm. Because you didn't use it much. You stopped using it between the ages of 8 and 12, and it's kind of been waiting. You've just been using the other two stances primarily. Lindsay so you've been, that was between 8 and 37. There, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. You just stopped between 8 and 12 is my point. And so now at 37, when you go get those feelings, they're the purest part of you because you've been doing life with thinking and doing, mm-hmm. and your feelings aren't all beat up from being out in the world. Yep. They're not suspicious or cynical they're just pure Hmm. tell me how this looks for your repressed center is the thinking thinking okay how hard to imagine it is it's hard to i mean real talk though you are a teacher you're one of the best teachers uh that i've ever been around so for you to be described as uh thinking repressed is somewhat peculiar but how do you see the honesty in your thinking center being uh, experience or communicated or revealed right now? Well, the reason that I'm, as a two, considered thinking repressed is because uh, I think a lot, but 80% or more of the time I think about relationships. Mm-hmm. And this uh, new normal, um, I don't like that term much. I'd kind of like to work with this abnormal time. Mm-hmm. Uh a different kind of thinking is required. I have to think about other things, and I have to think about them productively. You know, like if, if we're semi-quarantined, if we're self-quarantined, then I have to think about what I need if I'm going to let one of the children, all my children live here, as you know, if I'm going to let one of the children run errands for me and bring me the things that we need at home, then I have to be very thoughtful about where am I going to put it? Do I have the space for that in the freezer? What will I realistically cook? How do Joe and I manage leftovers? There's just not time right now for me to to do fluffy thinking. Uh-huh. And, you know, people are kind of worried about sixes right now. And I, I guarantee you that's the last number you need to be worried about. They're ready for this. They're, They're absolutely ready. ready. And they know how to manage their own anxiety. Hmm. When people are having to deal with isolation in degrees that most people have never experienced something like this, uh, for those of us who are are introverts, which I would consider myself an introvert at this stage of my life, uh, it it isn't as daunting. uh, But for others who are more extroverted, as they're processing this isolation, what what is a way for them to engage with this in a way that's going to be meaningful for their growth? Well, the first thing I would say is it isn't as daunting yet for you as an introvert. It's going to get. Yet is a big word there because we're just barely in this. We've got a long, we potentially are looking at 45 days, 
60 days. Yeah. And first so... Susan, I feel like you've, you've taken a turn. At first you were hopeful, and now you're saying it's going to get worse. You're, no. You're, you're I'm living, hopeful. Uh-huh. But it is going to get worse. I'm still hopeful, but it is going to get worse. That doesn't mean our response has to get worse. Okay. But it is going to get worse before it gets better. That's a fact, right? I agree. I agree. Okay, carry on. I interrupted. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. So my question would be not are you going to quit feeling? My question would be are you going to tire more quickly from feeling Hmm. as we go along? And am I going to tire more quickly from thinking? So I'm a dependent number. Mm-hmm. So I think intuitively, good thinking is going to continue to be available to me. But all of us, when we're tired, fall down below healthy and below average in our numbers to unhealthy. Yeah. And then when that happens, I'll likely still be thinking, but not be thinking productively. And you'll still be feeling, but what you might be feeling would be frustration or impatience and fours fives and nines will still be doing but they may be doing to entertain themselves rather than to accomplish so if we just look at the three centers what's thinking for at its best and what does it look like at its lowest then i think that's what we have to watch for and the same with feeling and the same with doing now i obviously know the answer to this question already but for my listeners what would be the best of feelings And what's the worst of feelings? Uh, The best of feelings are... um, uh, See, I've been saying that for 38 years. Let's just get rid of them. Yeah. No, no, no. The best of feelings are compassion, Mm -hmm. understanding, um, empathy, I, I have a lot of concern about that one. I think empathy might be the first to go. Why is that? In a, well, I, I think we're already uh, struggling with it because of screens. Yeah. You know, I think texting costs us collectively and individually empathy. Yeah. I think emailing costs us empathy. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think that the more selfish the more self-concerned people get, the less empathetic they are. So I think there's a good chance that the longer this goes on, uh, people who are empathetic and wanting to be supportive of neighbors and helping everybody right now, I I think that's going to probably take a turn if we're not very mindful. And I don't think we're disciplined enough culturally to be very mindful. Hmm. And that's going to disappear because that's human nature. I just think we're going to get selfish. Yeah, we're going to grow to selfishness. The things that I, I think. And judgmental. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think we're going to get selfish and judgmental. Yeah. Uh, I, and t- going back to the idea of what is the invitation to grow, I was writing down the idea that while you're saying this, compassion is the first one, and to understand people are doing the best they can. And I think some of those things are, are, are groundworks for not being as judgmental of other people, to accept people in the way that they're processing this. And, you know, an early emotion that I had was, you know, frustration for, you know, people's inability, you know, to buy in about what the right thing is that we're supposed to be doing. 
But I feel like the work for me is to acknowledge people are doing the best they can. They're sorting through this through the filters and the glasses that they wear. And it's not going to get them to the same resolution that I'm at at this point or this time and maybe ever. And it, it seems like the work that I have to keep coming back to is compassion means to understand that they're coming from their position that I don't understand and to accept them. And even those, I don't know if you've seen, <laughs> there's this uh, viral video about, uh, they're definitely thinking repressed in this behavior. Uh, spring breakers down in Florida who are saying, hey, we're not going to sacrifice and you know we're young, it's not going to affect us. Or there's a pop star who said something about, well, you know, it's inevitable. People are going to die. Let's not make it a big deal. And we want to kind of cancel them and do this like cancel culture mm-hmm. stuff and say, Oh, these are the worst people. And in some ways, like that's a, that, that's a defense mechanism that makes me feel better about myself. And some of this judgment of others kind of isolates us from their quote unquote impurity and makes me feel better about myself. Like I'm the one who's doing the right thing, but our work is to see the, the image of God in all people and to remind ourselves, no, no, we're, it's not us first them, but we're all in this somehow together. Absolutely. Plus, I think compassion has to do with life experience. Because? Well, I guarantee you are more compassionate as a father whose wife is a nurse Mm -hmm. with three little girls and a pastor than you were when you were 19. Yeah, 100%. Right? Because life experience has taught you about other people's lives and other people's struggles and the, the, the position from which other people have to make choices. Yep. And decisions, and I, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure we've done a good job of offering uh, any kind of self reflection or self awareness tools to younger to, to people twenty and under. Yeah, I think we think that life is going to give you that later on. I don't, you know, unless kids in our in our context, unless kids have been on a meaningful mission trip or they've been taught some kind of self-sacrifice by being exposed to something beyond what they're in every day, they haven't had a chance to learn that. And and to be critical of human beings who haven't had a chance yet to learn, I don't think they're flying in the face of everything that's happening and saying, we don't care if your grandma dies. That's not, I don't think that's anybody's attitude. I think it's, Wow, we're young and healthy, and every everybody else felt that way at eighteen and nineteen. So right. I'm not saying I think they're doing the right thing. I don't. And if they were my children, they would come home. Yeah. <laughs> I, period. But I, you know, I I don't think there's intentional uh, harm mm-hmm. coming from their point of reference. Yeah. Now, while it might be harmful and deleterious to the world's health, I, I don't think that they're intentionally thinking we don't care about other people. I, I think it's just absent-minded. They're, they're just not connecting the dots on it, probably. But That's right. we've all been there. I, I've definitely done stuff like that. Not in that sure. same scale or scope, but the same substance of that behavior has been found in my 38 years at various points and various times. But uh, so I think compassion is, is one, but I think something else that we're having to deal with is our own sense of mortality. And as you get older, the illusion of your permanence is uh, dislodged from you. But for some of us, we can live in that sort of like fairy tale world that this is forever and that we don't have to deal with the fact that we're going to come to a conclusion at some point. Yeah, I'm I'm really 
honestly kind of surprised that the new numbers that are being shared are suggesting that the young are more susceptible than we thought to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do, particularly in the West, I, I don't know about globally, but particularly in the West, there's this sense that the world is before you and it's your oyster and it's just waiting for you to step into it. And I don't want us to lose that. I still think that's true. And I still think it's true for Joe and me. Like, we have a lot of living left to do. We both have big jobs that we feel called to that we really love. And we're not, we're not, you know, pulling down the shutters. We're figuring out how to work from home. Yeah. Joe's head of congregational care for 16,000 people from home. And he's doing a bang-up job. And he's learning to do technology that he hasn't known how to do. And he communicates with his team regularly. It's working, right? It's just outside the norm. And so this is to put a point on my part, point, part, put a point on my point, which is, I, I think we are so busy adapting. We don't have time to throw ourselves off balance in our three centers with habitual, predictable, patterned behavior. Mm -hmm. When we were born, we were balanced in all three. Mm -hmm. Thinking, feeling, and doing. Using each for what it was for. And right now, because all three centers are required in the face of a pandemic, we don't have the luxury of just falling back into the laziness of only using two of the three centers. It's just not available. So it's bigger than the normal stress that this requires all of our, our faculties. So it's like all hands on deck with every bit of ourself instead of me going down to the worst version of myself that for me, I when in stress, I go to one and I try to perfect mm-hmm. everything. I try to micromanage this. I'm still trying to figure out how we differentiate between just stressful parts of life that makes us go to those numbers and this, which mm-hmm. calls us to rise above. I think it's not bigger, but I think it's deeper. What's the difference? And I'm, bigger, I deeper? think I'm, well, I'm not sure yet. We just are in a few days, right? Uh-huh. But here's what I think I'm going to come out of these days with. So let's, after we hang up, let's schedule a date okay. when we're going to do another one. Okay. Yeah. I just yeah. invited myself on your podcast. Come on back. Yeah. But, so here's what I think I'm going to find. I think uh, the luxury of your number that you go to in stress is probably available in moderate to shallow times. But I think what is readily available is the best of you in challenging, serious difficult pandemic times. And I think when people misbehave, it will likely not be necessarily consistent with the number that they go to in stress. I think it will be associated for eights, nines, and ones with anger, for uh, five, sixes, and sevens with fear, and for twos, threes, and fours with shame. It'll be associated with those. Yeah, so here's what I think. Hmm. I think uh, there's know your number. Yep. That's basic Enneagram. 101. Yeah, 
and know your number that you didn't learn from a test. That's 101. <laughs> but 102 is learning about triads and stances. And then 103 is learning about, well, triad stances and stress and security. Mm-hmm. Then 103 is learning about subtypes and how they apply to stress and security and stances and triads. And then 104 or 105, I think, is going to be about um, the reality that I think the Enneagram is always helpful. Always. If it's not helpful, it can't be related to the Enneagram and the lines that are permanently on it. And what's helpful right now for us is the best that we have to bring to the table. It's not helpful for people to go to their stress number. It's not going to be helpful to me or anybody I love for me to move to eight. But it's going to, you're going to bring your gift to the world by staying in the world of shame. And out of that, there's some gift that you can get from that area. Am I understanding you right? No, no, no. What I'm saying is I think rather than feel the stuff, I think the trap door for each triad is what we're talking, is what I'm talking about. So rather than go to their stress number, five, sixes, and sevens are just going to be in fear when they're not doing well. Mm -hmm. And eights, nines, and ones, rather than go to their stress number, are going to get angry. Got it. Okay. And twos, threes, and fours are going to feel shame. Okay. Got it. So they're going to stay there. I think that's that's what I think they'll come in and out of that, but I think that's what bad behavior is going to look like mm-hmm. during a pandemic. And then I think we'll all go back to normal, uh, maybe two years out, and we'll forget what we've learned, and we'll be back in predictable, habitual, patterned, yeah. expected behavior. Yeah, one of the things in Joseph Campbell's mono uh, mono myth uh, or uh, hero's journey is that like it's always a cycl- cyclical pattern so you have the monster that comes yeah. out you defeat the monster you learn the lesson and then all of a sudden you regress right back into it and I, humanity has re- re- retold that story over and over again um the fear stuff in christian in christian context we would say that it's living dying rising <sighs> yeah right same thing living dying rising I wish you'd have given me that about like six months ago, so I would have put that in the monster book because I wish I would have had that line. Thank you, though. Um, just I feel it, sure there's always going to be another book. Yeah, there is. There'll, there'll be another book, but that one would have gone perfect with the monster in that section. But uh, just for my listeners who are going to read that section, just imagine that I added that line from Suzanne in it. Okay. Um, I, I feel like there's a ton of fear right now, and I don't know if I'm just filtering this because I'm in that fear triad, but it seems like there's just so much fear right now. Do you think that there is an equal amount of anger and shame along with fear, but I just feel the fear more because that's my triad? Or is it just a ton of fear? I think... Go ahead. I think you feel the fear more because it's your triad. And um, I think we can do a lot in our work and... um, coming weeks quoting Richard Rohr over and over probably but this particular quote is so so valuable right now and he says 
the definition of suffering is whenever you're not in control. So I would pose to you as a seven that part of what you're naming as your fear is the fear of being stuck in this for a long, long time and not being able to get out of it. Yeah. Yep. I think if it continues to present you with new challenges, you'll manage the fear pretty well. Now, I think also, and the basis for some new work that I'm doing is that liminality is a real thing and that there is, in fact, free-floating anger and free-floating anxiety everywhere. And it's falling on all of us indiscriminately. You know, an old Merton quote is, there's grace upon grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy upon mercy falling on all of us all the time. And I would just say, prior to the pandemic, I think there's free-floating anger and free-floating anxiety everywhere in Western culture. End of the conversation, but uh, such is life. We're going to blame that on the uh, coronavirus. Cut it off halfway through. Uh, but, but what I went, in, went ahead and did is I recorded uh, another part of the conversation with Suzanne uh, the following day, which is actually the day I'm talking to you right now. And it turned out to be such a good conversation. We went, uh, we had a lot to discuss that I went ahead and just cut this into two two conversations. So we're going to have a special podcast that comes out tomorrow morning, and uh, it's it's more with Suzanne. We talk more about uh, stances, subtypes and uh, the four things you need to do uh, every day while you deal with this new uncertain time. So you're going to want to check that out. Uh, sorry for the, uh, the awkward conclusion to this, but think of it as a press pause. We'll come back, pick this back up tomorrow, same time, same place, and you get uh, more Suzanne's to feel. Thanks, friends. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.